Join me, Sean Hall, for the Scuttlebutt Podcast, a program about understanding military culture from a civilian perspective, every Friday at 9 p.m. Eastern and Sunday morning at 11 a.m. Eastern on Reads Across America Radio. Welcome, everyone, to another episode of The Scuttlebutt. I'm your host, Sean Hall, Director of Programming with the Veterans Breakfast Club. We're a nonprofit in Western PA whose mission is to create communities of listening around veterans and their stories to connect, educate, heal, and inspire. Joining me for his second tour on The Scuttlebutt is Matthew Lewis. You may remember him from a previous episode where he talked about his book, Mission Transition. He's written a new book called Hiring Veterans, where Mission Transition really dealt with military members and servicemen and women transitioning out of the military trying to find work. Hiring Veterans deals on the other side of the coin with the company, the company, what they need to do to set their company up to successfully hire a veteran. We dive into a lot of the data that he presents in the book, as well as a lot of the myths that he wants to debunk about what companies and, and maybe non-veterans uh, believe about veterans. Um, I really enjoyed this conversation. I hope you do too. Please like, share, ring the bell on YouTube so you're the first to know whenever we release new episodes. And if you have any questions for me, uh, you can always email me, Sean, S-H-A-U-N at veteransbreakfastclub.org. Thank you so much for supporting the podcast and enjoy the show. Joining me for our second uh, tour on the scuttlebutt here is Matt Lewis. Matt, you are the author of Mission Transition, but you're also the author of the new book, Hiring Veterans. Uh, this just came out. Um, super excited to talk about your second book. Congratulations on its release, by the way. Um, since this is your second time on The Scuttlebutt, we don't have to waste so much time on intro, but I felt like for someone maybe finding The Scuttlebutt for the first time, maybe we could get a slight intro from you. Uh, welcome back to The Scuttlebutt. Thanks again, Sean, for having me. The the honor's mine. I look forward to the conversation. Yeah, it's been a busy couple of weeks here with a book coming out. We had a uh, incredible first week out of the gate. It was the number one new release on Amazon and the job hunting category it was a top 20 bestseller in all three categories. It's rated in. It uh, perfectly complements the first book. Uh, just to refresh folks' mind, you know, I got into this with the intent of putting a dent in what I call the nation's civil military divide. And I think we defined that quite a bit on the last call, so I won't reiterate that. Uh, the first book, Mission Transition, addresses the military side of the divide. This one addresses the civil side. It's a practical guide to help organizational leaders uh, to put programs in place to successfully bring on veterans and military spouses. Uh, and then we can talk more as we get in uh, about my work at PeerPost, because from an employment standpoint, there's still the need to ensure a warm handoff in between your last duty station, and the community in which you settle. And that's what that work does there. But uh, but that's, in a nutshell, uh, where I'm focused in terms of my background, uh, retired Army Lieutenant Colonel, uh, West Point grad, used graduate school as my transition vehicle, uh, all told 25 years in uniform of some sort, combined active reserve and 25 years and counting in the corporate space. So that kind of uniquely positions me being able to, to speak both civil and military sides of the fence. Why, where did the passion come from to really focus on civ mill divide uh, after your service? Yeah, so I'll try to keep this brief. I tell this story often. When when I left active duty, and I'll age myself here, this was back in the, the mid-90s, the Clinton drawdown years, uh, there was very little by way of support and getting out. So necessity being mother of invention, kind of came up with my own process. And veterans being who we are, helping out their buddies, I reached back and helped others with the same, uh, just because I knew they were going to need the support and what I came up with worked out for me. Just did the same over the years, uh, helping individuals on a one-off basis, 
but over time I got a couple of messages consistently. One was a message of gratitude because people would tend to land better than they would have otherwise. Second was an admonition to scale what I was doing. Uh, have you ever thought about writing a book to which I would kind of scoff? Uh, but then forward again, now we're, we're decades into this and I've got blood brothers and sisters that uh, have served not only there, but their families entire lives in service to the country. And in spite of all of the increased resources and focus uh, put on transition via TAP and, and other things that are out there and all the nonprofits in the space, people are still left largely fending for themselves. We can go down that rabbit hole if you like. But in seeing that, that's really, uh, for me, the, the spark that caused me to pick up the pen and put it to paper uh, and kind of making my own stance that this shouldn't continue. And I've, I've got a voice in this that can have some value and some impact. And I'm proud to say it's it's had that. And I hope it has even more than it has today. Certainly, you put the same love and care and, and that same passion uh, into hiring veterans as you did with Mission Transition. Uh, how as you talked about at the beginning, this is sort of the flip side of that coin. This is now the, the civilian side. Uh, and it complements that first book. Uh, if someone were to go back, read sort of what you go through as a military personnel, uh, what do you hope, what is the goal of hiring veterans? So you're right. Um, Mission Transition was the is the most award book of its kind. And truth be told, hiring veterans originally started as the second half of what I intended the first book to be. Uh, thankfully, I uh, came across a network with some fellow authors who coached me that I had more than sufficient content <laughs> for the first book. And uh, so we we called it a, uh, a short halt and, and published that. And it, it's a good thing that I did, I think, uh, to bring them together does kind of muddy the water a bit with uh, two different audiences. Uh, but uh, what I'm hoping uh, individuals and organizations uh, take away from the, the second book, a, a couple things. One is an education on exactly who veterans are, who military spouses are, what they bring to the table, what they offer by way of a, a talent value proposition, which is much more than they probably assume, mm -hmm. uh, because myths and other things uh, get in the way of, of that understanding. Uh, and, and then two, feel compelled, given that education, to put programs in place to, to successfully assimilate these people, because it doesn't happen on its own. Uh, given the ongoing issues that veterans experience and will continue to experience as they get out, uh, what they need to effectively transition will not be fully provided. And so organizations, and I use that term agnostically and purposefully uh, because it's applicable to nonprofit, big, small, in between, nonprofit, big, small, in between, academic, governmental, anyone can take advantage of this. Uh, you know, I, I want them to put the programs to meet these folks where they're at and then pull them the rest of the way in the organization. Uh, lots of reasons why that's important, lots of benefits that they will reap for doing so. Bouncing off this idea uh, that you mentioned, just myth, myths and assumptions. Uh, I know you have some slides for us. I'd love to dive into some of this information because in inside your book, there's tons of wonderful data. Um, and something I really love about the book is, uh, you know, a, a, an employer may pick this book up thinking, okay, well, I'll, I'll figure out, you know, how do I hire a veteran? You know, let's look into this. 
But really, there is a wealth of not only data, but but worksheets in here to help you understand how your organization is set up. Uh, you get to fill out different different bits of information to help you understand you know, what you'll need uh, in the course of hiring veterans. Uh, I love that, that it's more interactive. Uh, but let's go to your slides. For those of you listening on the podcast side, we're going to be describing some things, so you're not going to miss much uh, on the audio side. If you want to jump over to the YouTube side and watch the scuttlebutt here, you'll get the visual element, but you're not going to, again, not miss much in the audio side. Uh, Matt, I'd like to have you bring up the slides, and we could go through the data, go through the information here, because that's really what it comes down to, is what are these organizations looking at, and what myths are we trying to bust here? Yep, I'll do that. First, let me just address your, your comment. Uh, I thank you for recognizing that because it was very purposeful, much as was the case with the first book. I wanted to put it forth in a manner, uh, it, it, in the case of the first book, exactly how people were trained in the military. Crawl, walk, run, step one, two, three, mm -hmm. see the exercise, do the exercise, and build upon each other and ultimately have an outcome and a product at the end. So uh, that was purposeful. Uh, so I'll bring up the slides here. Uh, and so what I like to do as part of educating individuals about, uh, who veterans are and overcoming that one, just to look at some demographics. And, uh, for, for those of you that, that are listening, uh, what I'm showing on, on a chart here are, is the percentage of veterans in the U S population. Interesting statistic here. We're rapidly approaching a, a time that, that will pass, I project within the next 15 years, where the percentage of veterans in the U.S. will be lower than at any time in the past but since before World War I. So again, it goes back to when I talk about the civil-military divide. Uh, I'll define it briefly as just a, a simple lack of familiarity and, and understanding between the two that drives a disconnect in expectations between veterans and their prospective employers. It's only going to grow, my friends, and, and thus the need to educate folks on both sides. May I ask a question based off that idea? Looking back at World War One time, if that if if it was if so few people served during World War right before World War One, that civ mill divide was was pretty pretty large at that time. Do you think that at, at that time society was very unaware of what the military was? As as much as it is today. Uh it, it would be pure conjecture on my part since we're looking back well over 100 years now, but I can only imagine, given that point in history and uh, the, the recency of events uh, in terms of, of conflict uh, not being as big post-Civil um, War time frame. So I, I suspect it may have been. Hmm. Uh, nonetheless, um, but one one good news aspect of these demographics is the percentage of women in the the force continues to grow, so that's a positive. Huge. Uh, a big takeaway I always put up front, and I'll emphasize this again at, at the end as I walk through these myths, are what veterans bring to the table in terms of a business value proposition is incredible, and studies study after study continues to show that veterans, as opposed to their you know, civilian peers and organizations, tend to be promoted faster, perform better, and easier to manage than the non-veterans because of the, the skills that they bring, both hard and soft. So uh, let's dive into these slides and try to uh, both uh, surface and knock down uh, some of the myths that are out there that tend to get in the way of organizations hiring veterans. Uh, one of these myths is that veterans are less educated 
than their civilian peers. Fact of the matter is that's not true. And there's a couple of different measuring sticks. Percentage of a high school degree is higher, 96 plus percent versus 90 percent, uh, as well as with graduate degrees. The percentage of veterans that have an advanced degree is 160% vis-a-vis their, their civilian peers. So big difference. And oh, by the way, veterans with bachelor's degree have three times more work experience than non-veterans. So not just education, but training and experience as well. Here's a chart that, that documents some of that in detail, uh, just in terms of what our service members ha- have an experience, both in education and training, in experience vis-a-vis their uh, civilian peers. Uh, what percentage of veterans serve in a combat specialty? Another misnomer here is that uh, civilians tend to think all veterans are trigger pullers. Now, I was one of those. I, I served on tanks when I was in the military. But the fact of the matter is less than 15% actually serve in that capacity. Flip that around, more than 85% serve in a capacity that's potentially directly accredited to a similar function within your organization. And you can see the chart here, whether that's administrative, construction, electronics, engineering, healthcare, uh, machine operator, I could go on and on, transportation, logistics. All of these functions are needed uh, in most organizations that are out there. And not that veterans end up in precisely these career fields. In fact, about only about half do. But the fact of the matter is much of their training, education, experience, certification, licenses, are directly accredited to uh, the real world. And oh, by the way, to the extent your organization requires uh, security clearances, uh, the largest group of individuals in the country with them happens to be in the military. Uh, Another myth out there is that all vets have PTSD and they're all going to go postal and why would I wanna hire them? The fact of the matter is uh, your organization likely has more than five times the number of civilians that have PTSD than in the military. Uh, so let me just walk you through that. This one always tends to turn heads. Let's take a notional thousand person organization. Now, studies tell us 6% of veterans are in that labor pool. So that would be 60. Studies also tell us that post 9-11 vets have PTSD on the order of 11 to 20%. Let's take the, the far end of that range. 20% of 60 is 12. So in this notional organization, you've got 12 vets that have PTSD. Well, let's look at the balance of the population, 940 civilians, if you subtract the 60 veterans. Studies tell us 7 to 8% of adults in the U.S. population will also have PTSD. Vets aren't the only people that suffer from PTSD. Let's take the low end of that range to be conservative. So 7% of 940 is 66. Ergo, more than five times the number of civilians in the organization that have PTSD. Uh, diversity tends to be a question that comes up and that people think the military is not diverse. Fact of the matter is more than 31% of active duty military is made up of racial and ethnic minorities. It's very diverse. So if you hire vets, you're hiring diversity and you're hiring success, as we'll document here momentarily. Mm-hmm. Uh, another misnomer out there is around disability. Everyone thinks all veterans are disabled and they require accommodations, which can be costly. Again, not true. Uh, Most veterans don't require disability accommodations and 58% of those that do cost nothing. Um, One of the biggest questions I get from organizations is I can't find veterans. I don't know, I I would like to hire them, but I don't know uh, where to go and where to look. Well, the fact of the matter is, and as chapter six in my book 
details and uh, incredible amount of detail. Veterans are both plentiful and available. Uh, there's 200,000 leaving the service every single year. They're available year round and on demand, unlike those matriculating from academic campuses. Uh, in fact, the, the DOD is the nation's largest employer. There are more than three and a half million individuals that work for the Department of Defense, which is more than the employees of Amazon, McDonald's, FedEx, Target, and GE combined. Uh, another thing, issue I tend to run into with organizations, especially the, with members that may continue their service in the Guard or Reserve, and there are about half of those that coming out that do will continue their service in one of those capacities. Uh, the lament among employers is there's nothing I can do to prevent them from being recalled and activated and deployed. Again, it's, that's false. All employers have rights to limit the impact of such recalls. Employers may request that some of their workers be named key employees and key employees can't be mobilized. And by law, the DOD must limit the cumulative absences of reserve component members. I would encourage everyone without going down too much of a rat hole, join an organization called ESGR, Employer Support of the Guard and Reserve, uh, that exists to help uh, negotiate, resolve conflicts resulting from an employee's military commitment. And uh, by the way, you're under no obligation to continue for even differential or partial pay uh, during a reserve component member's absence, although many organizations do compete on that. So keep that in mind. Uh, another myth out there is that these veteran hiring programs have no outcomes. Why should I bother? Uh, fact of the matter is they have direct and quantifiable outcomes in a couple different ways. Uh, one, just consider the military community. Uh, if you look at them as a potential source for buying your services or products, they comprise 37 million folks who wield 1.2 trillion in annual buying power. So a good population you'd want to endear yourself to and allow your brand to uh, to shine. Uh, and, and studies also show that organizations with the most inclusive and best talent management approaches that include veterans experience a 22 increase in productivity, 13 times higher mean cash flow, four times better able to deal with personnel performance issues, and three times more likely to identify and build leaders. And if that weren't enough, and as I think we discussed last time, veterans that get fully employed in optimal career fields will more than double their career earnings, rate of retention, and job satisfaction. It's incredibly important. Uh, key one here uh, is around national security. And, you know, we're, we're hearing this in the news these days because of the recruiting challenges the services have. But people tend to think, employers tend to think that hiring veterans or not hiring them has no impact on national security. Again, it's anything but the case. Uh, think about if I'm a 16 or 17 year old person that could potentially enlist in the military and I see veterans not being hired, not experiencing successful employment outcomes upon leaving the military, why would I join on the front end if I know my back end is not going to be met with success? That's part of exactly what's going on right now and impacting the, uh, the recruitment numbers that we've seen across the board. Every single service will not meet their requiring uh, recruitment goals, uh, rather, for FY23, with the exception of the Marines. In fact, the Army, because this will be the second year in a row, they haven't met their recruiting goal. They've had to actually physically shrink uh, the size of the force by 10,000 people. So there's a direct impact to national security there. And even more directly, if veterans aren't employed, guess who pays the unemployment bill? It's the Department of Defense. And these funds, which, by the way, have varied somewhere between two and $900 million over the course of the past decade, 
comes directly out of the Department of Defense's operating budget, uh, which pulls funds directly from funds that would otherwise be used to, to train the troops and to, again, buffet our national security. So all that to say, to end where I started here, the supply and demand of workplace skills and what employers say are needed for success are precisely what uh, our veterans bring to the party uh, upon departure from active duty military. So I'll pause there. I know that was a mouthful. No, that's great. And I'm thinking just in terms of if I were an employer and I, you know, see this presentation, I say, okay, you changed my mind. I, I'm, I would like to hire a veteran, but where do I start? And it's, does it start in HR? Does it start with, as you put in the book, the, the veteran support program? How How is that structure built to create the best environment for me as the employer to hire a veteran? Yep. And to answer that, if you don't mind, Sean, I'm going to go back to uh, a, a few slides here. Uh, to directly answer your question, and I'll, I'll pull this up uh, in terms of what are, what are the first steps that I should take? Uh, one, in a veteran hiring initiative is probably no different than any other talent initiative uh, of its sort in that it needs to have top-down executive level leadership support and support both uh, financial and programmatic, uh, not just talking the talk, but actually walking the talk here. And it, it becomes even more important uh, the larger the organization. Uh, any of these programs will involve change. And as we know, you know, human nature doesn't take kindly to change. And the larger the organization, the, the more important the support is to overcome the inertia that's inevitable to affect the change that's required to have success. So job one, as I state in the book, is to ensure you have that top-down executive level leadership support. Beyond that, the next most important thing is to make sure you have, if you don't already, initiate a veteran business resource group. Some may call them employee resource group, uh, veteran employee resource group, what have you. But you want to establish this group, this, as I call them, a tribe of peers in your organization that serve a, a couple different capacities. One, it helps the new hires more effectively and more quickly assimilate into the organization because you're surrounded by those that understand who you are and what you bring to the table. They also act as a springboard in getting you connected with the balance of the organization that perhaps doesn't understand who veterans are and what they bring to the table. Uh, the, again, the more rapidly that they can network through those concentric circles of individuals in the organization, uh, the, the better that they'll assimilate into the culture of the organization, be able to more rapidly contribute to the organizational bottom line. The BRG can also serve in a very important functional role in helping uh, the organization put this hiring program in place, put its curriculum in place, act as trainers or instructors for any sort of onboarding requirement, support any of the recruiting efforts that go on uh, to include interviews uh, and everything that the hiring managers and the talent acquisition folks will do. Uh, they can serve a very functional role in that regard as well. May I interrupt with a question here? For sure. The BRG, I'm, I'm assuming, is, is the idea that if this organization uh, hasn't been able to hire any veterans yet, this would be filled with probably non-veteran personnel who would help in the BRG. Uh, would the goal then eventually be to have veterans specifically run the BRG so that a veteran coming into the organization has sort of that common language that veterans speak 
uh, and they would feel more confident and comfortable uh, in that, you know, working through, like you said, the, the culture of that organization and understanding how it works. So let me first challenge the premise of your question. I would contend, again, it varies depending on the source, uh, the size of the organization, but most organizations probably have veterans within them, and they are probably just unaware that the individuals are veterans. Mm -hmm. And that's been an ongoing challenge, getting veterans to self-identify. Yeah. Uh, but I think uh, if organizations of a sufficient size would make an announcement that they're creating this uh, business resource group and would ask veterans to uh, volunteer to contribute. Again, veterans uh, being who they are tend to want to help out other veterans would likely volunteer, self-identify, and participate. Mm -hmm. uh, but that said, if it's a, uh, this would tend to be likely a smaller organization that may not have veterans. Uh, yes, I think that's probably the way forward uh, whereby uh, non-veterans would initiate it, but gradually cede their responsibility to veterans coming in. Mm -hmm. uh, so BRGs, uh, beyond the, the the top down support getting a brg in place having that operate effectively but the next most important thing is to couple that with onboarding and mentoring programs those two things the brg and the mentoring programs tend to be the two secrets to success for these veteran hiring initiatives and a mentoring program there's both kind of a buddy a peer mentoring aspect but it should also involve and up and down uh, the, the chain within the organization mentoring effort as well. Again, helps to helps the individual uh, veteran new hire uh, more rapidly associate, assimilate, uh, better understand some of the cultural nuances that uh, tend to be tough uh, to, to overcome or understand uh, during the outset because they're experiencing so many of these cultural dimensions simultaneously as I document in the first chapter of the book. Uh, again, very important. Um, a couple other things I'll, I'll footstomp here to an answer to your question. One is, you know, again, I, I urge organizations don't approach this because you think it's the right thing to do, even though it may be, or to approach it as a charitable effort. This should be anything but. You should have as your driving mantra and goal here to, at least for for-profit organizations, to make money. I mean, that's that's why for-profit organizations exist. And uh, the, the, the point I'm trying to make is there needs to be a direct relationship between this hiring program and your organization's strategic goals. If this enterprise, and I'd be surprised if it wasn't, but if it isn't moving the needle at the end of the day at your top or bottom lines, then I, I would say scuttle it. But I would be hugely surprised if it, it didn't help you in that regard. So ensure that uh, its goals are directly linked with your organization's goals. And then the last one, a bit of a caveat here, uh, because veterans are a protected work class, you, you do need to make sure that you're in compliance with any regulatory obligations that uh, might apply. Uh, they apply even more so in the context of being a, a federal contractor if your organization uh, qualifies as such. Uh, their affirmative action uh, goals that uh, th those types of organizations need to make. So I'll, I'll pause there. What do you think would be the biggest mistake if an organization decides, okay, we want to hire veterans uh, that they could make? If, is it just jumping straight into the deep end without really doing their research? Uh, or is it, you know, maybe not creating a, a veteran support program to help with that transition? Uh, where could be a misstep that they may not think of? 
Well, a, a good one. I don't know if it's a good one, uh, and I don't know that that, that there's a, a biggest mistake. But what I tend to see most often where organizations fall down is they have good intent, but they don't put the structure and the infrastructure in place to successfully enable it. As I said up front, you know, these things don't happen by themselves. There needs to be some uh, some organization and and some structure to it to to meet these folks halfway. Um, if if that doesn't happen, what does tend to happen is what we see, and as I documented in my first book, uh, where veterans are come in, they'll have an initial landing spot, they'll have some uh, a salary that will tie them over for some time being, but they'll quickly come to understand that they're not a fit for whatever reason, and part of that has to do with again the lack of rapid assimilation, the lack of connecting with peers, understanding where and how they fit within the organization, not getting the the feedback and uh, deployment and roles that would make sense for them. Uh, all of those things tend to be some of the the tripping points uh, that cause folks to 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 leave the organization. And what tends to happen, they they go to the next organization, the next organization, so much so that, that the stats today would say that, uh, veterans, half of veterans don't are not in their preferred career field by their sixth post-military job. It's incredibly sustained rate of failure and part of why I'm doing this. If you get folks, again, employed, fully employed in optimal career fields, everybody wins, uh, right. both the employer, the individual and their family, and the nation's economy and the, the nation's security, as we just uh, uh, documented before. Well, pardon the pun, you're certainly then writing the book here on the how-to of if you're going to retain talent, if you're going to create a space for veterans within your organization and have them succeed, this is the building blocks. The, the, this is the foundation. Yeah, yeah, it's exactly right. And uh, for those that uh, might have, uh, I'm going to pull up another slide here, Sean, as a recovering consultant, I, I can't help myself. <laughs> I like that term, recovering consultant. Yeah, <laughs> uh, but but no, you're right. The, this book, much as the first one, is built on a process, and and here's the process. I call it the assimilation process, and about how to build out the program once you decide to actually support it and put your weight behind uh, putting the infrastructure in place and bringing these folks on. Uh, it's important that it does cover the the whole uh, employment life cycle. And uh, this chart, much as it reflect in the book, gives you a sense of what needs to be put in place, both internal and externally to the organization, you know, who you want to focus on in terms of participating. It's broader than than you probably think. Uh, and then there's a whole list of table stakes that I, I walk folks through. I won't go in, in depth on these. Uh, but well, uh, can you define table stakes? Uh, sure. Uh, so. And I'll run through these very briefly since, since you asked. But in each of these areas, what would be the bare minimum practices, if you will, uh, that organizations should think through and begin applying? Now, some of these we've already touched on. For example, as you're looking to identify veterans, again, bare minimum, you want to have that business resource group in place, which is going to help. I mean, veterans like working with other veterans. They're going to help you as an organization identify where those folks are coming from. Uh, from the recruiting uh, from recruiting side, you want you do want to have a small team that's simply dedicated on bringing in, in veterans, but you want everyone, all of your recruiters to be cross-trained to some degree. So providing them 
materials on best practices for doing so. Ideally, you want to have a human resource leader that understands the advantages that, that these folks bring to bear. On the interviewing side, again, you want a, a small cadre trained in understanding who veterans are. If they don't use platforms like my peer post, Passport will enable them. Uh, that automatically translates all of their military experience. You need someone to be able to translate those three-letter acronyms and other military gibberish that yeah, civilians tend to see. Uh, you also want a scripted question set that is focused on uncovering transferable skill sets, a key difference that I would argue in interviewing veterans versus others. And then I think being clear, as clear as you can be, and, and transparent about the culture of the organization, this is probably one of the most difficult aspects that veterans have in understanding your organization. Uh, to the extent they understand what, what culture is, uh, it, it tends to smack them in the face among the more than two dozen different dimensions I document in the book. So again, to the extent you can make that clear to them up front, the less they'll have to struggle with that. Once you actually get them you know, through the door, then you have to have some processes in place to help onboard and train these folks. Mm -hmm. uh, part of that is simply having these folks self-identify so that they can be um, assigned mentors and uh, train accordingly, ideally with uh, you know, some peer sets, perhaps members of the BRG, uh, that, that'll help them, again, more rapidly assimilate. Um, assign them a mentor. We've talked about the importance of that, as well as the affinity group. Uh, and then make sure you have a curricula, uh, both for the transitioning veterans and their spouses, as well as um, a, a curriculum for individuals within the organization to understand them as well. Uh, from, from a deployment standpoint, again, make sure that uh, vets are assigned to roles most closely aligned with your strategic goals. Veterans are used to serving in a capacity in the military that we're serving the, you know, flag, God, and country, and and all of that. It's probably the most impactful uh, mission that they've had. You ideally, want to assign them to roles in the new organization that similarly have uh, a direct line, uh, at worst, an indirect line to what the organization's true goals are. So you want to emphasize that. Uh, set challenging goals. Veterans want to be challenged. So uh, be very clear up front what those goals are incentivize them to meet that and identify other role models in the organization that have done so. Show them what success looks like. Um, you know, when we were in the military, this next point's around feedback. Uh, you're counseled on a regular basis, almost a quarterly basis in many instances in the military. Now, not that it needs to be that frequent, but they should be getting regular feedback and immediate, certainly within the first 12 months uh, of being in the organization. And then uh, last point on deployment, is make sure that they understand what the career path is. If they know, you know, what it takes to get to the next level and the next level beyond that, mm -hmm. uh, they'll be more motivated uh, to actually reach that and contribute to the organization. And then the last point here is around retaining and separating. We've talked about the, the nature of, of Garden Reserve. Uh, so make sure you have processes in place. Make sure you're a member of the uh, ESGR. I mentioned that before. Mm -hmm. uh, and that you're supportive of uh, those organizations that do continue to serve. Again, it, it in directly impacts our national security. Uh, likewise, be supportive of military spouses and their uh, portable careers. And then lastly, you're going to learn as you put this in place, 
you know, uh, contribute to the, the broader community about your lessons learned. And there's uh, opportunities to do that on my website as well. So I, I see a lot of this, this answers a lot of my questions about how you set the expectations uh, for the veteran coming into the organization. But one thing, one point I want to make uh, there is how do you set the expectations for the other non-veterans and civilians that are working within your organization uh, without making it seem like uh, you're bringing in an, an alien, you know, to work with you. Uh, but what are the types of things that you could talk to your your current workforce about to prep them for, you know, this sort of shift to hiring veterans and, and the focus on on that? Yeah. And, you know, first, I, I wouldn't I wouldn't make it seem as such a great hurdle. Yeah, <laughs> I, I might explain it as, hey, we're we're taking the opportunity to take advantage of incredibly valuable talent pool that we may have heretofore overlooked. Mm -hmm. And we need your support in doing so. This is a an organizational wide initiative. It's going to help us overall, both our, our top and bottom line. And however else we would explain it, directly supporting our strategic goals. And just simply enroll their support and making sure this program gets put in place. Again, as I was walking through the table stakes, one, there needs to be a curriculum both for the veterans themselves. There also needs to be a curriculum for those in your workforce that are going to be working with these folks and perhaps don't know or understand uh, who military members are. Uh, what they've experienced and how they should expect to interact with them uh, once they get through the door. Uh, and that's both at more of a broad level and also a very tactical level. What are some things, what are some topics you should talk about? What are some topics you, you shouldn't talk about? Uh, similarly, during the interviewing phase, what are some questions you should ask? What are some questions you, you should not ask about? And, and there's several examples on on both of those sides. Can so, we get a little more granular there? Because there may be somebody listening that's maybe never talked to a veteran, you know, as we've talked that the civ mill divide is so wide, at, you know, especially in certain parts of the country where you may never have spoken to a veteran. I know before I joined the Veterans Breakfast Club, I had very minimal experience talking with veterans. New kind of like, you know, I, these are questions I maybe could ask or maybe shouldn't ask. And I felt very uncomfortable even asking, you know, sort of simple questions, uh, but maybe a bit granular on, on the idea of like, okay, I, I bring them into the interview room what can I talk about in terms of their service and what shouldn't, what should I probably avoid? Sure. So the HR managers listening will know this implicitly, but by law, by statute, you can't uh, address certain topics as part of the interview process. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, for example, uh, will you continue to serve in the, in the guard or reserve? Uh, that, that's something you can't ask about. And there's, there's other uh, questions with, great specificity in that regard that that can't be asked. And it's not necessarily applicable to veterans, but uh, the, the entire workforce. Another, getting away from the regulatory aspect of things, there's also areas that, I mean, for the betterment of everyone, you just probably shouldn't ask about. For example, you know, have you ever killed anyone? Mm -hmm. uh, or have you seen people killed in combat? And things that, for one, it's irrelevant. Uh, for, you know, secondly, even if they did, what impact does that have on the 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 job, the the role that's at play or in question? Mm -hmm. uh, you know, and then thirdly, you know, it was probably to the if the individual did, the veteran doesn't want to relive or you know re-experience those thoughts. So you're putting totally. that person in a a really bad spot as well. And so, and it, the the book speaks to several other examples, but those are just a couple to to give you a sense. Now, in that same vein, uh, 
who who is doing this best in the in the within the field of hiring? I, I'm sure you had many connections, people that talk to you. You know, as you look at different organizations, who is sort of the uh, tip of the spear? The the you know the 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 high bar that is set with this particular organization that understands and has this structure built. Yeah, and so to answer that, I'm going to pull up a slide here. Much as I did with the uh, the first book which was based in part on case studies of individuals. The second book is based on case studies of organizations. Hmm. And throughout the book, you'll see little snippets. I call them companies in the cockpit where they lend their voice to reinforce some of the points that I'm making uh, throughout the book. Uh, but to directly answer your question, make reference to some of the logos on the slide. Uh, I'll just I'll rattle off some names here. JP Morgan Chase and in full transparency, I sit on JP Morgan's external advisory accounts for military veteran affairs. But they were a case study, and Mark Elliott, who leads their military veterans affairs efforts, uh, wrote the forward to the book, again, being fully transparent. Uh, Prudential uh, has long been a supporter, has great programs in place. Uh, Amazon does as well. Uh, Procter & Gamble here in my hometown of Cincinnati has long been a supporter. They've been recruiting veterans since the Civil War. Uh, Walmart has had great programs and continues to have emphasis in this regard. Uh, Tesla, USAA is renowned for their support, uh, ADP, Slum Bruget, and there are some others in here. I, I, I do want to emphasize that because basically all the names I mentioned are large, you know, blue chip uh, companies. You do not need to be a large blue chip company. There are small mid cap companies in here, Cajun Industries, performance contractors uh, who are smaller companies, uh, but have put successful programs in place. Also, governmental and academic, the State Department has a well-run program, and there are other agencies that do as well. And then Xavier University, who has one of the better uh, veteran transition programs and on-campus uh, student success centers of anywhere in the country, uh, brought their case study home as well. At J.P. Morgan Chase, uh, I wish we could clone you personally, Matt, and just have you be a part of all of these because then we'd probably have better veteran hiring processes uh, across the board. Uh, but what do you think, J.P. Morgan Chase, your your experience there? Uh, how is it that you know what they're doing right? What, what do you feel most confident about there? Uh, well, again, I'll go back to the processes I I talked about before. And uh, there's probably not a chapter in the book where I don't have a quote in there from J.P. Morgan. Um, so, I mean, one, <laughs> again, I'll go back to my bottom line table stakes uh, requirements for success. Uh, Jamie Dimon, this is going back well over a decade now. Uh, well, a little over a decade. J.P. Morgan was the founder of what was then called the 100,000 Jobs Mission. You may recall this mm -hmm. from when uh, about the 2012 area era when uh, veteran unemployment was at, at its highest, well north of 10%. And it, he founded not only the Veteran Jobs Mission, but also the, the effort within the bank uh, to push that forward as well. And that effort, I, I'll talk specifically the 100,000 Jobs Mission, which has become the Veteran Jobs Mission, now has uh, uh, more than, I think they're up to 330 people that are members of the organization, all of whom have committed to specific quantifiable goals for bringing on both veterans and military spouses. Uh, last year, they had their 10-year anniversary and recommitted to goals that now include specific numbers around military spouses in addition to veterans. 
so they're not only focusing on all of everything that needs to be done within their own four walls within the bank and uh, in the processes I, I laid it out earlier, uh, but trying to advocate for and putting a spotlight on best practices for other organizations to do the same. Friends of yours, veteran friends of yours, uh, whenever they get hired into a new role, uh, what have they said has been the most important piece of their onboarding process? Well, this kind of goes back to the the first book and uh, uh, the, the case studies that I've seen there. Again, I'll go back to one of the more difficult things that organizations, I'm sorry, individuals struggle with is understanding all the various dimensions of an organization's culture. Mm -hmm. And because their ability to assimilate with that culture or not is largely going to determine the tenure that they experience in the organization. And so to the extent that they can uh, understand all of its subtleties uh, upfront, either via outreach from the organization itself, uh, the the VRG, BRG, call it what you will, uh, or perhaps other peers that they've networked with uh, throughout industry is really going to be helpful. I think that tends to be the thing that uh, most individuals are blindsided by, just their, their lack of understanding of all of those different nuances and dimensions of, of the culture of the organization, how an organization behaves on a day-to-day -day basis, how they reflect their stated values and their behaviors that are exhibited. Um, Again, organizations would uh, benefit themselves to the extent that they can make some of that transparent, especially to to these veteran military members that really, for the most part, have uh, zero other experience outside of the military in their adult lives. And as an employer, if you're you know deciding to start to hire veterans, how do you set something up in place to support them? Should they have PTSD or or issues, different things that they have to deal with based off of their service. Uh, obviously, you know, hiring anybody, you're going to deal with, you know, whatever comes uh, in the door, meeting them where they are. Uh, but is there a way to build that support network for them as well? Sure. Well, our, all organizations should have employee assistance programs, and uh, you know, which can help encourage that individual to the extent they are not already connected with resources they need, be it at a, a VA or whatever other medical facility they might need to seek out for, for treatment. And again, uh, veterans are should be looking at our notional company above, you know, a, a small portion of those in your organization that have things like PTSD. Mm -hmm. uh, so it would kind of be the same answer for any employee. Uh, make sure that they're afforded an EAP, afforded the opportunity to seek the, the treatment that they need. Uh, ensure that they're surrounded by a peer set with BRG, BRG, again, call it what you will, uh, individuals that are likely going through similar issues and can trade off individual best practices. Uh, what would you say is the biggest strength of the current generation of veterans coming out of the military that are joining the workforce? Oh, uh, I think... Well, one, I, I'm struggling with veterans writ large. There's, and as I state in the the business case and the the introduction, in the first chapter, what what veterans writ large bring to the party, and we've already documented that earlier. In, in terms of differentiating what I call the post 9/11 cohort vis-a-vis -vis earlier generations, uh, I, I think 
a lot of it has to do with technology writ large. The, the amount and type of uh, equipment, information, the way in which that information is processed and utilized is done on a far different basis these days. And thus, I think you know, veterans make for great additions to for cyber. You know, cyber is all the rage now outside the military uh, and IT and uh, technical aspects of whatever it is, logistics, you name it. Uh, you know, again, DoD being the largest employer uh, on on the planet, more or less. Uh, there, there's an awful lot of talent with these new and improved skills that can directly benefit your organization if you can just meet them halfway and uh, assimilate them effectively. And what would be, this is uh, my final question necessarily about the book, because I have a couple further questions, really just more, maybe more uh, personally as an author. Um, but what advice, if, if you had a minute with you know an employer and you had able to give them some advice, what, what would be the, the number one thing you'd advise them on? Well, I'd, I'd ask them, um, do you have a veteran hiring program in place? Do you have some initiative, some effort uh, dedicated and focused on this particular talent pool? Mm -hmm. And if not, I, I think I'd go right into, well, here's a valuable talent pool you're overlooking and let me explain why. Mm -hmm. And we kind of talk through all of that up front uh, after, again, educating them as best as I could within that minute on what they're overlooking and how they would stand to benefit here are some initial thoughts on how you might go about doing that uh, to include uh, bringing on a, a hired gun, a hired consultant, <laughs> someone such as myself that could help them put it in place. You'd sell yourself. Good. Uh, yeah. But I think selling any veteran, uh, just making sure that the, the skill sets that they're going to bring to the table. I, I, we've talked about this many times on the Scuttlebutt, and it, oddly, during this particular season, for people maybe just finding this podcast, if you go back into some of our more previous episodes, we talk a lot about hiring veterans, not only from the civilian perspective, uh, but also from the veteran perspective. And and even as granular as, you know, how do I do a job interview? Because many veterans are coming out of the service without that particular skill set buffed up. So, you know, we, we have many different episodes of our podcast specifically aimed on this topic, on hiring veterans, get, finding that, you know, getting a good transition, you know, what to do after service. Um, it's It's been a, a large learning curve for myself, just understanding how difficult it is for veterans coming out, uh, transitioning out to find employment. And not only that, but as we've spoke a lot today, finding the right fit. Um, but I think this book is is wonderful in that regard of just really giving it an idea for employers to just, just this is the best way you're going to you're going to find. Uh, this is really uh, the go to book now, I think, uh, for anyone uh, looking to say, if I'm going to start, this is the best place to do it. Um, in that regard, it's, as we talked about before, a lot of awards already for the book. It's only been out a week at this point uh, as of this recording. Uh, but for you personally, Matt, uh, how tough was it to, to release a book, not kind of knowing what the reception will be like? You know, do you go through a bit of like nervous uh, energy uh, as it as it gets up to release day? Well, I, I encounter the launch with confidence in the work product and and thank you for recognizing it as such and i i hope it has a broad impact that i intended to have mm -hmm. uh where i do experience a bit of frustration is that the the message i intend to impart isn't 
as rapidly disseminated and as broadly accepted as as I would hope. Mm -hmm. And so that's kind of my challenge right now. And part of the reason for appearing on <clears throat> this podcast and others like it to try to get the message out there. So much of it is education. So much of it is education. That's why I kind of wanted to start the podcast today with debunking myths, because so much of what I feel like people think. And this is this goes back to a question we asked earlier in the season on the scuttlebutt was legacy, the legacy of even post 9-11 generation. And and uh, the veteran that was on specifically said, I feel like the legacy is being pitched that the, of, of mental health and, and consistently educating the civilian side to say, that's not the case. These are these are myths. Here are the facts. These, this is the numbers. Uh, this is what you can expect. This is how you know. Even coming down to saying this is exactly how to talk to a veteran. This is this is the best way forward. Uh, you know, hire them. They're skilled. They're leaders. They're they're they, you know they want to support. They want to uh, be a part of a, a successful organization and contribute to that bottom line. Um, it, it does is that where you feel like you always go back to just that education piece? Exactly right. Exactly right. And uh, that's exactly what I'll be doing tonight at the book launch. <laughs> well, excellent. Uh, Matt, I, I want to congratulate you again on the release of Hiring Veterans. I implore our audience, uh, please check it out. Where can they get the book? What's the best place? Books available, as I like to say, anywhere where books are sold. Uh, Career Press is the publisher, a couple different versions, paperback and Kindle right now. Uh, I'm hopeful to maybe enable an audio book at some point, but it's not out yet. Well, I think you should do the audio. You have a, a great voice. Please do the audio book if you can. Uh, but I want to thank you so much for coming on the Scuttlebutt. To our, our audience, please like, share, subscribe, and ring the bell on YouTube so you're the first to know whenever we release new episodes. And uh, make sure that you reach out to me, Sean, S-H-A-U-N at veteransbreakfastclub.org uh, for any thoughts or comments or questions uh, for Matt or if you uh, have any sort of reactions to this podcast. Uh, as we leave today, Matt, I know that you, uh, you run Pure Post. Uh, could you give us an update on where the mission has gotten to at this point? Because we we sort of talked about it on our first uh, interview. I feel like uh, getting an update on where Pure Post is at now is, is a good way to go. Yeah, sure, Sean. And first of all, thank you again for having me on. Thank you again for what you do and shine a light on on such topics. Uh, Pure Post uh, continues on. The momentum is building. Uh, we've landed, uh, forgetting where we may have been when we spoke last time, but uh, Philips US is a big client. Uh, we just landed Uber. We're sp speaking with a number of uh, number of organizations, some of which we've already discussed that we hope to convert uh, in the coming months. But looking forward to a great fourth quarter and a, a great 2024. If any veteran out there is struggling with skills translation and putting together a resume and getting connected with employment opportunities based on your underlying competencies and skills, Go out to PurePost, PurePost.co for free for life. It'll take you 15 minutes to create a passport. It'll give you a graduate level Ivy League resume that'll instantly translate all of your skills and competencies and instantly match you with any job opening in the economy for which you're a fit based on that translation. All yours for free. That's fantastic. Um, thank you so much, Matt. Again, I uh, hope to have you back on again. Is there a third book in you? Can you do a third one? I, I am working on a third book. It doesn't happen to be related to, to veterans specifically, but would love a to romance be novel, maybe. <laughs> no, no, no. I'll let you know when it comes out. Excellent. Hope to have you back on the Scuttlebutt. Thank you again for joining us. Absolutely.
Thank you for watching this episode of The Scuttlebutt. I'd like to take a moment to thank our sponsor, Tobacco Free Adagio Health. Uh, Tobacco Free Adagio Health has been supporting the podcast for quite some time now. We've been so pleased to be uh, supported by them. They are dedicated to reducing and preventing tobacco use and getting the word out about the hazards of smoking and secondhand smoke. They're all about health, so they want people to quit. Uh, they have classes, nicotine replacement therapy, and a popular quit line, 1-800-QUIT-NOW. They also educate people, children especially, about tobacco use from cigarettes, cigars, pipes, chew, snuff, and other nicotine products like vaping. And finally, Tobacco Free Adagio Health advocates for public and private policies that ensure healthy places to live, work, and play. You can learn all about what Tobacco Free Adagio Health offers at tobaccofree.adagiohealth.org. Or you can check out the two Scuttlebutt episodes that featured tobacco-free Adagio Health. We had a wonderful representative come on to the podcast, talk to us about all the classes and therapies that they offer. Uh, it was one, two wonderful conversations. So I definitely direct you to both of those if you want more information or just call their free quit line, 1-800-QUIT-NOW. Thank you again, Tobacco-Free Adagio Health for your support.